you know, when I was doing um, kind of this lean transformation as an operations regional manager, right? So in corporate, it was it was a situation where there were no resources, right? Either we did it ourselves or it didn't happen. And one of the things that happened is, you know, it like it seemed like we were dragging people along. I mean, we're getting results, we're having some quick wins, but it just seemed harder than it needed to be. And as I went out and started exploring, why is this the case? Why does it feel like we're dragging people along, even though we're making work easier and better? What I realized and what I learned is that what we were saying didn't match what we were doing. So for example, we would say things like, blame the process, not the person. And then we would have a big customer failure and we would go and ask who ran the job. You know, like we were changing the way that the they, the employees, the team members on the floor did the work, right? What were their processes, the production processes, but we weren't changing anything about how we were leading. And where that led me to is realizing that in order to, you know, get this return, we can't just change the way we produce things. We have to change the way we lead as well. Hey everybody, I'm Elizabeth Swan. And I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and we're from the Just In Time Cafe, and welcome to our podcast. At the cafe, we wrestle with tough questions, talk to groundbreakers, discuss great books, and get insights from lean Six Sigma practitioners who are making a difference in the world. We let you in on helpful apps, we bring you the news, and we challenge the status quo so you can build your problem-solving muscles. So Elizabeth, what's on the cafe menu? Today's highlight is our interview with the host of the Lean Leadership for Ops Managers podcast, Jamie Parker. And we're gonna find out from Jamie how she took what she learned from the red string murder boards of crime shows to help leaders. And next up, we've invited a power user to tell us about an app that helps you gather on-site data in an instant. And for Q&A, we asked our community if they ever realized the best thing to do was to get out of the way. It's another great day at the cafe, isn't it, Tracy? If I can get out of the way, it's another great day at the cafe. <laughs> Up next, it's hot apps. Yes, and Tracy, today we are experimenting. We've invited continuous improvement practitioner, Kevin Gauch, to walk us through the app that he found to be so indispensable to process improvement work that he became part of the organization. So you and I usually review the apps, but Kevin comes from the Lean Six Sigma side of the house. So we thought he'd be a perfect guy to tell our audience about iAuditor by Safety Culture. Welcome, Kevin. Yeah, oh, Kevin. Uh, how you doing? Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. So Kevin, what exactly does this app do? <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of a loaded question. So at its, um, the way it was designed, right, initially was to be an, an inspection app, right? Uh, safety culture is founded on the idea that, you know, before you do anything else, you got to take care of safety, right? If people aren't safe, production doesn't matter, quality doesn't matter, take care of safety first. So it started off as a way to try to drive safety, not so much compliance, but maybe in the beginning compliance. And then over time, it developed into more of a, a, a cultural uh, approach to driving safety. From there, it got adopted into uh, kind of a quality inspection app until it got into the hands of more and more users that started to see that it was capable of, of so much more than that, right? So it's a platform that allows you to create templates, capture information, and then uh, automatically generate reports, make them available to anyone online uh, via the web, as well as have instant analytics with the data you captured. And all that's kind of done, you know, automatically, automatically they say in the software world. Uh, <laughs> so the, the real value that I found in it, right? There, I, I can give you a little background on, on how I got to using it. Um, so we, I worked for a utility construction company and um, we did a lot of gas and power work right? Some real salt of the earth, gritty construction guys that aren't always the most technologically savvy. And we were having some issues from a quality standpoint. And I was, I was in charge of quality and continuous improvement. And the issues sometimes were our fault and they sometimes weren't our fault, 
But the problem is in, in our world, you're, you're guilty till you're proven innocent, right? So if the customer comes and says, you did this wrong, and we say, uh, I don't think we did, I'm pretty sure we didn't, but we have no proof to back that up, then we did it wrong, it doesn't matter. Uh, so I was tasked with uh, coming up with a solution that not only provided the evidence that we were doing it right when we were doing it right, but also to drive some kind of standard approach to the work that we did that ensured it was done correctly. So we didn't have to go back and fix stuff or prove we did it or didn't do it right. It just, we know it was done right. Right. Um, and so th this app allowed us to do that. Right. So uh, my initial, it was, it was funny. I had a, a conversation with my boss. We had, we had tried multiple technology solutions over the years of, of like, you know, we created a form in Excel and we put it out on a SharePoint site and they'd have to log on from the field. And, and you know, it was it was dead before it ever launched. And he told me, <laughs> I can get these guys, in this case, they were they were gas construction workers, uh, gas plumbers. If I can get them to do to use this tool, I'd win a Nobel Prize. He said, don't worry about failing because we expect you to. Uh, <laughs> he was really encouraging. So the bar was set low. You know, we developed templates for the people in the field, our foreman, in fact, uh, to use. We equipped them with, with iPhones and uh, involved them in the process of developing the, 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 the work that they were going to be doing on the, on the, on the apps, right? To try to get their buy-in early. So th this isn't necessarily a function of the app itself, but it's kind of the approach that we took that made it successful. Uh, but then when we did put it in their hands, right, and we took care of all the logging on and setting up and all that was done ahead of time. So I just handed it to them. I said, all right, we're going to walk through an, an inspection, call it, I hate the word, but we're going to walk through an inspection uh, until you're comfortable with doing it. I'm going to ask you to do this every day. It'll take you five minutes, no more. And usually by like the second click, they're like, that's it? I'm like, yeah, it's, it's just, you, you just click down, click down the thing, do whatever it says. And they're like, oh, I'm good. Okay, I got this. Besides the simplicity, I think the biggest reason we were successful is because the people in this line of work uh, don't have something in their pocket to back them up, right? Uh, so when they get accused, and I would say, like, you know, if you're if you're a guest guy, you're you, you're basically digging holes and putting things in holes all day, right? And if they ran into something that wasn't quite quite right, they would take a picture of it. But every picture of a hole looks like every other picture of a hole. There's no proof <laughs> that this is really what you took a picture of. So this gave them. Uh, and the other thing is, uh, especially in this in this world, if they if they did do something wrong, uh, or if they're accused of it and can't prove they didn't do it wrong, they could lose their right to work for that customer. Um, so, all right, long story long. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> um, so, so if it's okay with you, what I what I'd like to do is is kind of show you. What, what they would see when they would use the app and, um, you know, get you an idea of, of what we're talking about here. Is that, yeah, that would be awesome. That'd be awesome. Okay. So this, this is what you would see from the, from the user's perspective. This is a, a, a you know, screen uh, share of, of my phone and I, I've logged into the app and it's on the, uh, here's the homepage, right? And it gives you various information you would need at any given time. Uh, but I'm, I'm going to dive right into the inspections because we're somewhat limited here. So uh, on the inspections tab, on uh, I have templates and I have in progress. The templates are the blank pieces of paper that I would fill out and the in progress are the completed forms. So uh, I'm gonna click on the template and I'm gonna start a quick inspection. You're gonna see my room that I'm, I'm sitting in as, as we're here, right? If I click on the camera. Okay. And what you're looking at here at the top is uh, some standard questions that are kind of baked into the app, right? So I can select a site and a site is really there to enable you to stratify your data. So you can slice and dice your, your data by uh, location. Uh, but you'll, you'll, you'll notice as you, as you learn more about our product, we're not great at naming things. So sites don't have to be a physical location. It could be a project, it could be a business unit, it could be however you stratify your information. Okay, so in this case, I'll keep it simple and say it's a site. It knows the date and time. It knows uh, where I am, knows who I am. And so here's uh, an example. You can create a, a you know, a response set of, of customers. And then here I, I'm asking for a poll number. So I'll do poll number. I, this is set up for poll inspections, for utility poll inspections. So you can see it's very simple, 
right? If, if someone can write a text or, you know, log on to Facebook, they could, uh, they could use the app. And so uh, here on the, on the next page, really where I, I do an audit, okay? So surrounding property is free from damage. Any contractor knows they get accused of everything that's been broken around them, uh, whether they touched it or not, mm. okay? And so this is an opportunity where, and this is the best practice that we adopted. Before we started any work for the day, we would document the, the, the state of the property that we were working on. And if there is uh, property damage, you can have it require notes and uh, media, media being pictures in this case, okay? And I also had it set up to trigger a, a customer sign-off, right? So you can have the customer acknowledge that the, the property was damaged at a time and they, you can capture a signature, okay? So if, if the access is free and clear, and if it's not, if it's obstructed, I can take a picture and show you how it's obstructed. So when the people come to actually do the work, I know what it looks like, right? Uh, so, and in this case too, and, and you kind of a little bit more of the same, uh, the condition of the, of the utility pole, the condition of the cross arms, just ask you to take a look and, and, you know, whatever this data is that you're capturing. Uh, and for the things that were, um, marked as, you know, flagged or failed require an action as well. So when I, when I find something that's wrong, I can assign an action for someone to follow up and, and fix it. No. Any questions as far as, as this goes, the functionality, the, the interface, how it all works? Well, it looks really easy and simple. And I'm really glad we had you do the <laughs> demonstration <laughs> instead of us. So uh, I really could see lots of possibilities with this. Yeah. So, and, and this is where I say, you know, it's designed for a certain purpose, but then once you start seeing what it's what it really does from a functionality standpoint it doesn't have to be something like good fair poor it, it we got out of the idea of inspecting work more so than we did documenting work right so we didn't want to we didn't want to look at the completed work and try to see what we did wrong we wanted to put in place a process that had them do it correctly the first time Right. So let me let me give you an example of that. Uh, we had a, a new foreman who had never plumbed a meter before. And we part of our uh, part of our process was to have that foreman take pictures of the of the work they did as they did it. OK. And so they they plumbed a meter and they wrapped up for the day. They went home and then. Uh, Two months later, the gas company called us and said that uh, the meter at this property was, was installed backwards and their customer had been getting free gas. Gas was going in through the out and out through the in. So the meter wasn't working, right? But the house was plumbed and getting free gas. And so we said, oh, well, there's not a chance. You know, there's no way that happened. So let's, let's pull the report. We had the report. And there it is, plainest day, the picture of uh, that person's report with the meter plumbed backwards. <laughs> now, if we use the tool the way it could have been used, we would have known from a process standpoint, you've got uh, a new foreman who's never done this piece of work before. Uh, I get real-time updates of the work they're doing in the field at, while they're doing it because I, I get their pictures that they're taking as they go. So before they left, I could have had a, someone with more experience just double check to make sure they did it right as part of a, from a process standpoint. Uh, and we would have caught that before they even demobilized. They could have fixed it no harm, no foul, uh, but we did, right? Take that one step further, we set it up so that it, within the audit, we showed a picture of what it's supposed to look like so that when you go to do the work, you can take a picture of what yours looks like. And if yours doesn't look like what it's supposed to look like, you can fix it. No one else has to even worry about it, right? So that we started moving the corrections upstream to try to you know, prevent the problems from happening to begin with. Are you, are you able to see my screen here? Yeah. No, okay. it's great. It's, it's interesting. You've turned it into standard work, you know? That's what I'm saying. Like, it's so much more than an inspection app. It's, it's, it'll solve that immediate problem. And once that problem is solved, you'll go, hold on a second. Right? Like we, we can do really anytime I'm capturing any information, I need to get it from where it's at to somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, and get, get it in front of somebody. I, I can recreate those forms and, and use it in the platform. So really it's, it's, it could be any industry 
that has some sort of inspection required or that they want to perform inspections as part of their quality? That would be a good use case, yes. But that wouldn't be the only use case, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. you could use it for, I don't want to say it solves, it doesn't solve every problem all the time, right? But it, it does solve the problem of capturing data and information and, you know, evidence and storing it for future, right? Future access. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if, you, if you need any kind of, if you want any kind of analytics associated with it, it'll, it'll give you that as well. Um, very cool. Tracy, any questions? Tracy? Yeah, that's pretty powerful. I really mm-hmm. like it. Um, I really like the phone part of it too, because often that's the one thing people have, even though they get all these devices, it doesn't fit in their pocket, let's say, but your phone does. You always Mm -hmm. have your phone no matter what. And to access it like that just seems like it would be just no reason not to do it. And right now I'm, I'm, you know, actually the, um, the industry I'm thinking is ship repair, (laughs) you know, Uh, or, you know, some sort of uh, inspection on repairing things. Thank you so much, Kevin, for taking the time to walk us through and give us the background and tell us what what drew you out of uh, your work in the utility field into into following this incredible app that, uh, like you said, started with a CYA, but morphed into just immediate accessible data and the ability to do analytics, which is pretty big. Yeah, I I really appreciate the opportunity. Uh, Thank you very much. Yeah. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you. I'm Elizabeth Swan, and you're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. In a short while, you'll get to hear our interview with Jamie Parker. Next up, it's an issue we pose to our community. Have you ever discovered that your best contribution was getting out of the way? Now, this post came from my own experience of discovering I was unnecessary. Uh, It was during a yearly work party we pulled together as a gift for my mother. She's a widow, and although I characterize her as sassy and capable, she turns 90 this year, and there's only so much maintenance you can handle when you're 90. So I organized friends and family. She has tons of fans. Uh, They came together on her birthday to weed, whack, rake, clip, plug roof holes, fix a deck, you get the idea. And at first I was like the keeper of the list, the master list, you know, and then friends and family would arrive. They'd find me and they'd be like, what should I do? What's on the list? Give me a, give me a job. And then, you know, I'd look through the list. They'd go find a wheelbarrow or rake or join the carpenter's crew on the deck. And so not only was I the bottleneck, but I couldn't get anything done because I was constantly having to stop and do this. So being the good process improvement practitioner that I am. I brought my flip chart easel. I put a Kanban board on it. And for those of you unfamiliar with um, Kanbans, the word translates to signboard in Japanese. It's basically a task board. The basic layout is three columns. First one's to do, second one is doing, and the last one is done. And I simply made post-its for all the tasks. I stuck them under to do. And it's pretty intuitive. So people showed up. And they would look at the list, not at me or my list. And they'd look at the post-its and they'd pick what they wanted and they put it into to-do or they go find someone, uh, excuse me, put it into doing. And then they go find someone uh, who was doing a job that they wanted to do. And then they got really comfortable and they changed the categories to maybe and it's on and so done. So I lost control of the crowd. And then at the end of the day, I tried to pull everyone together. And then one of my sisters kind of brushed me aside and she hit it over the board and she went up into the, you know, the to-do or the, what was it? It's on, it's on column, the middle. And she would yell out like, you know, Hey, are the gutters clean? And everyone yell out, so done. And then she'd pop it over in the so done column. And they just did this call and response, right? And they were all laughing. They were all pulling everything into the so done pile. And then there was pizza and then there was beer. And I realized, I was completely unnecessary, but everyone was having a good time. So it made me realize that maybe sometimes removing yourself creates a happy vacuum. And so I asked our community, have you ever discovered that your best contribution was getting out of the way? So Tracy, 
Have you ever discovered that you were in the way? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I'm going to share that in just a moment, but I would tell you that you are not unnecessary, Elizabeth. You are always <laughs> needed and loved. And I am also a fan of your mother. However, I have not had to weed whack or rain, you know, clean out gutters. All I've done with your mother is have a glass of wine. <laughs> yeah, that's also a good task. <laughs> yeah. And I really enjoyed that. So I think the biggest example of getting out of your own way is um, that something I see a lot of people do, and I, I'm sure I did it early on as well. And in, in your younger years as a process improvement person, you feel like, oh, I'm going to help improve a process. And then you feel like you have to learn everybody's process in order to help them fix it. And you don't. As a matter of fact, it's better that you don't know anything and just stay a facilitator. And I think one of the biggest mistakes people make is they're getting in the way. They're getting in the way of letting people, you're trying to help them facilitate and collaborate together, the experts, and you are you can be very valuable there. But if you actually try to fix it for them, you're getting in the way. Yeah. And so I see that a lot still. I still people... I still see people not recognizing that maybe they're inserting themselves in a way that they probably aren't adding value. Yeah. And I think I saw that reflected in some of the responses. We put this online. So this is, this came from um, Tracy Defoe, a self-proclaimed Kata girl geek. Uh, and she had wonderful mentors who taught her a guiding principle, which was quote, set up and get out of the way. You know, so she saw her work as preparation. And the team's work is in doing the tasks and exercises, like you said. And then when she's out of the way, she can observe people and then adjust on the spot or regroup and set the next learning objectives. And uh, she felt really lucky that she started uh, that way. And I thought that was a really good rallying cry. That's really nice. I like that a lot. Here's another take from Lean Six Sigma consultant, Terry Callahan. He says he had a leadership blind spot that he discovered late in his career. He had made a practice of regularly reviewing the progress that his team members were making on their commitments and offering feedback along the way, all with the intent of supporting them and enabling their success. But he discovered that they viewed his involvement as micromanaging. They felt like he didn't believe in them and that he didn't trust them. And when he stepped back, they felt empowered and they blossomed. So that's really key sometimes is to step back. Yeah, and I think, you know, even there, he wasn't doing the job, he was just giving them feedback, but they saw that as, you still think you need to give us feedback. You don't think we're ready to just like take this thing on our own. Mm -hmm. um, another example, this is another real life example from uh, Lynn McLaughlin, host of the podcast, Taking the Helm. Her oldest son recently got married and she describes herself as a type A planner and organizer, but she held back and she donned her mother of the groom hat and she got out of the way. And I love that idea of donning a different hat, right? And so in her case, you know, she became mother of the groom and it led her to have a stress-free, really good time at her son's wedding. So that was pretty cool. Another colleague, uh, Leadership Impact Copes, uh, Sunitha Narayanan, Narayanan uh, uses the phrase, stay in your lane to help herself get out of the way. So we've got set up and get out of the way or stay in your lane as mantras. Another image is to be mindful of what hat you're wearing. So those are nice techniques for uh, getting out of the way so others can bring their whole selves to the table. Lots of great wisdom from the crowd as usual. We'll provide the link if you'd like to add to the conversation. Yes, join in on the conversation. It's always nice to hear different perspectives. I'm Tracy O'Rourke, and you're listening to the Just In Time Cafe podcast. We host these monthly. So you can go to www.jitcafe, that's J-I-T-C-A-F-E.com, and go to our podcast page. Coming up next, it's our featured guest, Jamie Parker. Tracy, why don't you tell our listeners a little about Jamie? Yes, as a matter of fact, I've gotten to know Jamie a little more because I got to go on a leadership retreat with her in Baja, Mexico, less than a month ago. So I really like her a lot. 
and I got to learn a lot about what she does. She's the founder of Process Plus Results. It's a training and consulting firm that works with ops executives of mid-sized businesses who are struggling with their lean transformation due to leadership gaps, which often show up as disengagement, firefighting, and stagnation. Bringing her 18 years of ops management experience to her work, she loves teaching clients to fill in leadership development gaps so they can create a high-performance culture, achieve continuous improvement, and experience transformational growth. Jamie also loves a great murder mystery and has honed her knack for helping operations leaders connect the dots of beliefs, behaviors, and systems, just like her favorite crime show detectives and their red string murder boards. So you can hear Jamie's insights on the Lean Leadership for Ops Managers podcast that you had mentioned earlier, Elizabeth. And to connect with her, you can go to processplusresults.com, all one word. We are very sick to have her at the cafe. Hello, Jamie. How are you? Oh, I am so good. I'm so excited to be here with you both. I know. I can't. I'm so happy to see you again. <laughs> I know. Yes. <laughs> so I got to know Jamie a little bit and I love to hear how she became a consultant, her background about how she got started. So we got to, you know, we got to know each other, I get to know each other a little bit. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how you got started as a consultant, what you did before you became a consultant. Would that be okay? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I am a recovering command and control manager. Um, I grew up in operations where it was all like, hit your number, hit your number, uh, push, 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 be green, first quartiles, all that matters, right? And, you know, it almost didn't even matter how you hit your number, just hit your number. And that pressure was so big and I didn't know any, any better. I just emulated what I saw and that was to push and push and push people. Um, and the truth is like, I didn't really care honestly about people too much. It was just like, you know, let me achieve, right? I used to tell um, people back the, back in the day, I was just the worst boss ever, but I would, I would tell my bosses, right. Just like, I don't care how you keep score. Just tell me what it is and I'll win. Right. Like that's really what it was about. Um, but as you can imagine, it was uh, pretty miserable. It was miserable for my team. Uh, it was also miserable for me. I mean, I kept getting promoted over and over again, but it wasn't uh, a great experience. And you know, we all hated it. And actually lean and continuous improvement was part of my transformation process as a leader. Uh, so as I started transforming my leadership, looking at continuous improvement and respect for people and how do we, um, you know, get sustainable results, but do it in a way that honors people and gives people an opportunity to, uh, you know, be their best and use their strengths and things like that. And so I do say that I'm recovering, not recovered. It is still a work in progress. And yeah. I still like, you know, that kind of type A you know, get it done still definitely comes out. But um, yeah, so that's, that's kind of what I did before consulting is operations management. And it's been one heck of a journey. I just had a question about that. Like, what was the turning point for you? Because obviously it was working, you were getting promoted, you were getting results, but what was the turning point that made you think this is not what I want to be, or this is not what a leader should be? Was there a turning yeah. point? Well, it was a little twofold because the first turning point was definitely like, I'm miserable. This is awful. Right. So I knew that was the case, but, um, I, I don't know that I recognized it then looking back, I know that I still thought it was them and not me, right? <laughs> like I still thought it was the managers, not me. And so when I went to this new, I got, you know, I was promoted. I took on a new role. I went from retail into manufacturing. I went from Washington DC out to Denver. I was in this whole new division and, you know, I vowed that things would be different and they were, but I, I thought that it was because, you know, oh, well, I have a different team now. And um, it was, it wasn't until in that, in that journey and being with a new team that um, I started to then recognize, oh, no, this is actually like my, it's a reflection of how I lead, right? And, and not about the other people. Uh, and so it was a little bit of this combination of uh, practicing lean, kind of pursuing lean continuous improvement, being mentored by some folks in the lean industry and, and, and kind of area. And then also having a leader who really challenged me and helped me as I was kind of going through this, like, 
I don't know, quarter, third life crisis thing where I was like, oh my gosh, I make copies. Like I'm not saving lives. I'm not changing public policy. Like we print signs and stuff. <laughs> and, you know, he, he really helped me to see what the impact is as a leader of, you know, the, the way that you actually change lives and impact lives every single day, whether you intend to or not, you are having that influence. And so being able to see that, you know, the kind of this like perfect storm of things combining uh, was, I guess, that that uh, moment that helped me to understand that I needed to adjust how I was leading. Mm-hmm. So the description you gave of, you know, I got promotion after promotion after promotion. I was hitting my numbers, you know, I was doing it and I was miserable. And I wanted to know, obviously, you're now uh, focusing on ops leaders. Do you ever look at someone and go, oh, my God, <laughs> I see myself. Like, do you see yourself? Do you see people that are just like, oh, yeah, no, you're you're miserable. You're hitting your numbers. You're doing everything you're supposed to do and, and you hate it. Yeah. You know, I see that sometimes and I hear that a lot of people, a lot of times where people self-identify and they say, oh, I'm in recovery too, (laughs) right? Like, oh yeah, this is, this is part of my story too. And I think that it does resonate so well in people, people that is a normal experience. I mean, unfortunately, like I wish we could say that, uh, yeah, I was on, you know, an outlier, but I do think that it's a very common experience for operations managers is you know, because of that pressure, because we're not, it's not really, um, kind of modeled for us. A lot of times we don't have a lot of uh, people that we can watch do it well. And so, um, yes, but yes, I see it too sometimes where I'm like, Oh, I'm you're, I really want to help you so much. So now you are consulting. You are now you've been consulting now and you help companies, through their lean journey. But what I did learn about you is that you're, I thought you were a lot like me. I thought you were like a lean consultant. You did training and consulting and you, you kind of did the whole A to Z thing. But what I learned is that you have a specific specialty that you focus on. So tell us a little bit about that. I do. Yeah. So, you know, when I was doing um, kind of this lean transformation as an operations regional manager, right? So in corporate, um, it was it was a situation where there were no resources, right? Either we did it ourselves or it didn't happen. So there was no C- continuous improvement office. There was no consultant to hire. It was just something that we had to do. And one of the things that happened is, you know, it like it seemed like we were dragging people along. I mean, we're getting results. We're having some quick wins, but it just seemed harder than it needed to be. And as I went out and started exploring, why is this the case? Why does it feel like we're dragging people along, even though we're making work easier and better? And what I realized and what I learned is that what we were saying didn't match what we were doing. So for example, we would say things like, blame the process, not the person. And then we would have a big customer failure and we would go and ask who ran the job, (laughs) right? (laughs) We would say things like, um, you know, you do the work, we value your ideas, you know, we want to hear your improvement ideas. And then people would give improvement ideas and we would explain why it wouldn't work. Right. <laughs> and so here we were, you know, like we were changing the way that the they, the employees, the team members on the floor did the work, right? What were their processes, the production processes? but we weren't changing anything about how we were leading. So here we were, we were continuing to show up the same way as leaders, as plant managers, as department managers. And, um, you know, what we were saying as far as, you know, continuous improvement and lean and, and make work easier and better, but we weren't changing the way we led. And where that led me to is realizing that in order to, you know, get this return, right. For all of my ops people who are all like, what's my return on investment (laughs) in order to get this return, in order to have an impact, in order to change our culture, in order to become people who continuously improve as part of the way we do our work, we can't just change the way we produce things. We have to change the way we lead as well. And so that's where really my consulting work is with, is with working with operations managers, uh, particularly on people leadership skills and how we show up and how we interact with people, uh, as well as kind of putting into place some of those routines to help us do that on a consistent basis um, so that we're creating an environment where improvement can flourish, where Um, You know, whether you're using a consultant or you have an internal continuous improvement team or you're self-taught, however, you're you're bringing continuous improvement practices and and kind of how do we improve the work? 
well, let's create an environment where that work can flourish because of the way that we interact and lead people. Mm. Um, so just thinking about the, the kind of the construct you have, um, I've heard you talk about beliefs, behaviors, and systems, right? So do you have kind of a three-pronged approach? Like how do you sort of, where, what do you hit first? Yeah. So to me, there, we have to do, work on all of them. So we have beliefs, behaviors, and systems. And when, in the work, we are going to address all three. And there's a reason for that, which is because if you don't, then it doesn't stick. So if I'll talk, start with systems first, because, you know, your listeners are probably loving systems, right? We love systems and processes. Like this is the stuff. This, yes, this is what we love. It's so good. Um, and so we want to have, you know, systems or processes or, you know, Tracy and Elizabeth, I think you, you also talk about kind of leader routines Mm -hmm. that um, are going to create consistency. It's going to enable, you know, us to do the right things, to do them, you know, consistently on whatever, whatever cadence we have. And it just makes things kind of more sustainable. But we also want behaviors, which is kind of the skill. So if you think about the systems or the process is the what you're doing, right? Here's what we're doing. We've got a cadence, we've got process walks, and we have tier one daily meetings. And, you know, we have visual management and hour by hour charts, whatever it is that we're doing. And then the behaviors is kind of like the how we do it. It's the competency, the capability, the skill with which we do those things. And this is important because um, ha- like, have you ever seen a process walk or a gimbal walk go really, really bad? <laughs> right? Like, it's like, oh my, well, I do my walk every day. Right? <laughs> or, I do it every day or I do it every week. And everybody then, runs for cover. Right? <laughs> but then when you go and actually walk it with them, you, you know, they like, well, why are you doing it that way? And they start asking questions like that. You're like, oh no, we're actually doing more harm. (laughs) And so there's some capabilities there, uh, particularly for operations leaders, not just, you know, the capabilities around improvement, but the capabilities around listening and, um, you know, productive conflict and how can we have meaningful conversations and what do we do when there's disagreement and, you know, all of those kinds of things. So we have to be able to do those processes or systems well, how we do them will matter. Um, But then I also want to tackle beliefs, which is our thoughts, our beliefs, our belief system. And this is because belief does drive behavior and it makes a difference. And my best way of explaining this is to tell you that um, I've always struggled with recognition. Like, you know, command and control manager here. Shocker. I know. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I struggled with recognition. It showed up on every employee, sur- employee survey, like climate survey or whatever that I'd ever done. And um, people would say, you know, you always tell us what we're doing wrong. You never tell us what we're doing right. And I was like, oh, I got to fix this. Now, back in my command and control days, I didn't think I needed to fix it because, you know, I need to be a better leader. I needed to fix it so that I could have a good score (laughs) as a manager, right? (laughs) Remember, I told you, you tell me how we keep score, I'm going to (laughs) win. And so I was, I was trying everything. Like, I'm like, okay, you know what? I, I went to my HR partner. I'm like, all right, how do I do this? And, you know, I tried having hash marks, like a, a list of everybody in hash marks. And um, I would try calendar appointing, appointmenting recognition. <laughs> and I would, um, um, my HR partner said, oh, you need to try the penny trick. You got to try the penny trick. And this is where you put 10 pennies in your right pocket. And throughout the day, every time you, you know, give recognition, appreciation to somebody, you move a penny to your left pocket. And the goal is that you, you know, switch all the pennies aside, like that, that'll work for you. And, you know, it didn't work for me. I mean, like (laughs) it worked for like three days and then it was like gone. But here's what I realized though, is that I didn't actually think that people needed to be recognized for just doing their job. And so it wasn't the tool that was the problem. It wasn't the penny trick or the hash marks or anything like that, that was preventing me from being able to give recognition. It was because I didn't believe that I needed to give people recognition for quote unquote air quotes over here, just doing their job. Uh And so as long as I held that belief, then I wasn't going to be able to be authentic in my behaviors, in how I was interacting with people in whatever system you gave me. And so really looking at all three of those as we develop operations leaders and as we create 
you know, this culture of who we want to be as a leadership team and as an organization, I think we have to look at all three of them. And I think you have to always, like, you have to just keep coming back to them. I don't think there's any one that you're ever like done, right? Or like, yeah. oh, I can check it off now. That's powerful stuff, Jamie. Gosh, <laughs> the entire time you were talking, I was actually thinking about a leader that I knew and he really just believed that people were dumb. I mean, he, he just, he just thought people were stupid and therefore did not deserve his respect. And he always thought he was the smartest person in the room. So like, when you believe that, are you really going to truly show respect for people and give them the benefit of the doubt or feel like you can learn from them? So you're absolutely right. That is so powerful. Um, and so how do you help people change their belief like that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this is where I think vulnerability becomes really important in development and um, creating a team, creating a leadership team. And so creating a space where people can be vulnerable and one, like share the things that you don't tell anybody, right? Like, I'm not going to tell anybody that I don't think they need to be recognized because <laughs> I know that I know that's a wrong thought. Like I've at least, <laughs> I've at least been, you know, around the block enough to know that I'm doing something wrong here, but that's what I think. So creating a space where we can actually get some of that out, I think is, is part of it. Um, the other part is uh, sharing beliefs and thoughts, particularly from our senior leaders. So engage. So when I engage with an organization, we're having, you know, the COO and the VP of manufacturing share their beliefs, which, you know, at this point are going to be positive people's, you know, centric beliefs, but they're sharing those beliefs and stories and connecting that together. Um, and then also just kind of figure, helping to figure out what, what might be able to overcome some of those hangups. Um, and so sometimes it is kind of tackling one, you know, at any given point, right? So like one of my core beliefs now is that, um, you know, everyone wants to do a good job, right? Like people want to do a good job. And so being able, sometimes you'll have someone come in like, oh yeah, but you know, they're just trying to get away with doing the least possible. Like, okay, well, are they, are they, let's see if we can tackle that and, and talk about that a little bit further, but you've got to create the space for those kinds of conversations. Otherwise they don't, you know, they're not going to be really meaningful or impactful. Mm -hmm. um, that's so interesting. The, what you came to right there, which was the stories. And I was just looking at this went. Uh, research around what happens when you tell a story to someone like you just told us this realization like I just don't believe you know and just like mm -hmm. this and also the the feeling of I know that's a wrong thought like I know that's bad and the telling us that what happens is we get the, the emotional whatever's happening for you emotionally the same parts of the listener's mm -hmm. brain are lighting up and they call it neural coupling. So it's the stories that that help people get what you're talking about. That's it's almost like you're you're transferring a memory. Mm -hmm. You know, they get it. They get your memory, and it's like, oh wow, okay. So she had this big, you know, come to Jesus moment and realized, oh, wow, okay, I fundamentally do not get this, and I have to I have to change that. So yeah. that is, I it's it makes sense to me that like Tracy's asking, how do you change people's beliefs? I think it is at that, like you said, vulnerable story, but vulnerable point, but it's also that sharing of stories. Mm. Is that how you get instruct other folks to help them um, with in terms of changing beliefs, changing hearts and minds? Yeah. So I definitely think that story is a part of leadership for sure. And both in how do we influence people's and kind of this, this changing hearts and minds, but even also in helping people feel connected to their work and connected to their organizational purpose and, you know, just kind of really communication in general. Um, and so, yes, I think that, you know, even we actually practice telling stories and create space for stories. So I had a client, I have a client that's doing some leading purpose at work where they're, um, you know, trying to create more, uh, kind of this feeling of impact and fulfillment and uh, kind of togetherness as an organization or as a team. And so these are influencers. So these are, some of them are operations managers and some of them are individual contributors who just, you know, kind of influence the people around them, kind of raise their hands as volunteers. And so, um, so we actually have had them coming on to our weekly calls 
and going into breakout rooms where it's, you know, the safer space instead of everybody and, you know, take turns telling some stories and then connecting it back to their true North as an organization Mm -hmm. so that they can start to create uh, some comfort with it as they go out and engage other people on their teams and other people cross-functionally that they interact with. And so I definitely um, really appreciate the value that stories bring. I mean, this is why I shared this thread. I could have told you about beliefs and told you in whatever way, but I shared the story because I just think it comes to life, right? Uh Mm, Definitely. Yes. So uh, my question is, why are you targeting, targeting ops leaders in particular? Is it because you were an ops leader and so you really feel like you get where their space is? You're providing something specific to ops leaders is my guess. Yeah, I think it's it's twofold. One is, well, I guess actually it's threefold. There's three <laughs> reasons for that. One is definitely, this is, this is my experience. Um, I know what it's like to be on that other side of the pressure. To have someone say, but I need results. To have someone say, but you got to get the orders out the door. And that is uh, a unique um, situation, right? Where you're like, okay, this whole, this, all of this pressure comes down to me. I can't put it off, right? And so I, I understand what that's like. Uh, and I, you know, so I, I value that. And I, you know, I recognize that people are going through that. And so, yes, that's my experience. And I want to be able to share from that. Um, the other is, I think that, they are often neglected when it comes to development. So we, you know, our executive leaders, we give executive coaches to, and our first line supervisors, the first time you've ever been a supervisor, you probably go through a, you know, a day or a week of new supervisor training. Um, And then everything in between is kind of like, yeah, okay. (laughs) You know, we might even invest for our continuous improvement people to go to a conference or to, you know, take a, a, you know, a series of classes or get certified, belt certified, um, but then operations managers, be, like, like we tend to ignore them a little bit. Um, so I, I think that's the case. You know, I have just a special place in my heart for them. And then the lastly is I just think that they are that critical leak because they are interacting with the people who create value in your organization every single day. And so mm-hmm. we can, if you really want to change the culture in the organization and how we do things and who we are, then let's talk to the people that are interacting with our value creators every single day, day in and day out. And let's help them. Um, and I think particularly even with a, you know, a lean transformation or continuous improvement, and you're trying to integrate continuous improvement, um, I think that our practitioners have a critical role to play in bringing some expertise and experience in to, into this space. But operations managers do a disservice when we expect our, whether they're internal or external, but we expect the practitioners to do it for us, right? That's, it's just, that's not... That, that is not going to lead to transformation uh-huh. if we don't have ops leaders involved in, in owning improvement for their organization. Uh-huh. I think actually, I think it's optimistic that supervisors get a lot of training too. I feel <laughs> like people are thrown in fairly young into yeah. these positions and it's, dec- it's decades sometimes later that they finally get, oh yeah, leadership training. It's, you know. Yeah, um, that's, that could be a very fair statement for sure. The so, statistics say that first, the first, your first leadership job, a leadership role is 25, but the average age that you get leadership training is 40. Ooh. So big gap, Ouch. Big which gap. that's why they need you, Jamie. <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> she's starting with the ops managers, Tracy, then she's going to expand from there. They have the special place in Jamie's heart. So it, other people have to stand, have to wait. Well, and I do work with, you know, multiple levels within operations leadership, right? So, you know, I might work with the COO, the VP of manufacturing, the uh, department managers and their team leads, right? So Mm -hmm. we might, now we might be doing different, different types of activities or at different um, kind of intensity levels, but, you know, I've got organizations where I'll work with all of their levels um, Mm -hmm. Uh of operations leaders. Yeah. Yeah. So, All right. Last, last question, maybe. Um, and then also how can people get in touch with you? So what is, what is like your, what are you super passionate about right now? Like what's the, what's the thing that's holding your attention right now and what you're doing? Oh, so right now I'm really trying to, um, get better, uh, like more concise and get more clarity 
particularly as it relates to everyday constructing everyday practice for these routines and the behaviors, the skill sets. Mm-hmm. Um, I think particularly as it relates to skill sets. So um, if we wait and, you know, let's say you're learning how to uh, better, you know, have more productive conflict. Well, if you wait until you have conflict to try and practice that, then you're not going to actually learn the skill very well, right? Or if you're learning structured problem solving as a leader, if you just do, you know, um, these cross-functional problem solving, then, you know, you're you're not really getting enough practice, right? So how do we, how do I um, help bring more purposeful and intentional practice for skill building and, you know, routine building into my organizations that I'm working with? Um, you know, we're getting there, but how can I get, how can we get there faster? Right. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, like, that's that continuous improvement for the work that I'm doing that I'm super passionate about. I love it. I love hearing that. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. So how can people get in touch with you, Jamie, if they wanted to reach out? Yeah. So you can uh, find me online at processplusresults.com. And so if you go there, you can connect with me, um, as well on LinkedIn at Jamie V Parker by the way, V for Victoria, but JBV Parker. Uh, and then you can also listen to my podcast. It's called Lean Leadership for Ops Managers. It's on all the uh, major platforms or just go to processplusresults.com and you can find the podcast there as well. Um, well, I highly recommend your podcast. It's always a great, it's like a, it's like a, a nugget. It's like yes. every time you do it, it's a really good focus and they're tight and uh, those are great to listen to. Um, it's been awesome having you visit the Cafe Jamie V. Parker. Yes, thank you. Yes, I have loved every second of it. Me too. And I can't wait to have not only more lean caffeine with you, but more margaritas. Yes, I'm down. I get to come next time. (laughs) (laughs) Bye, guys. Bye. Be sure to register for our August 25th webinar, Building a Strategic Plan for Lean Transformation with guest host, the Denver Peak Academy. The team is going to share their struggles and successes during their lean transformation journey, and they work to build team clarity and alignment with their strategic plan, and we'll get to see the completed product in mural. It's going to be a good one. If you're planning your own improvement education journey, put our fall semester Lean Six Sigma leadership course on your calendar. Our latest cohort recently graduated and they are already on their transformational journeys. And this course just keeps getting better. So come join us. It's offered through the prestigious UC San Diego And the fall class starts at the end of September and goes for 12 weeks. Start planning now and we'll provide a link to all of these on our website. We are so psyched to have your company. The Just In Time Cafe is packed with members of our fabulous community. Thanks for listening in. Join us next month and every month for your jolt of lean caffeine.